This episode is sponsored by Furniture Box. Check them out in the description below. Guys, welcome to the Ground Floor Podcast, the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. And our guest today is Mickey Matu, who is the co-founder and MD of Fashion UK, who, along with his brother Gerda, founded Europe's largest licensed apparel and accessory supplier to high street and online fashion retailers. Mickey, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. No, no thanks worries. for coming on. It's good to finally meet you. Just to correct you, my brother is 11 years older than me, so he started the business. Yeah. Uh, a few years before me uh but yeah um been doing it for 20 years so it feels like a while yeah yeah wow. big journey yeah, so for anyone that doesn't uh, that doesn't know you or doesn't know fashion uk um can you give a little bit of a summary and a background as to who you are and, and what it is yeah so um me and my brother um like uh born in leicester it used to be a historical sort of textiles business area you know so loads of old mills and stuff yeah. like that and um um, my granddad was a uh, first generation, like late sixties, kind of came, worked in the foundries. My dad and my uncle uh, worked uh, a little bit of foundries, but basically decided, you know, we can start making clothes and selling them. And, you know, they did really well out of that. So when I was young, we just had factories. I remember running around with rolls of fabric and ladies sewing clothes. Um, and um, my brother kind of, finished university and you know dabbled in like law and stuff but actually decided you know I'm going to kind of focus in on this business and um, so we kind of as a family um, we set up our own business and my brother kind of developed it and he kind of found a niche in licensing yeah so um, it's Can I like, ask, by the way in terms of licensing, do you actually are you involved in the manufacturing process as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we were always making clothes, and he was like, actually, you know, we could do some prints on there, and you know, make it more fashionable. And back in those days, it was kind of very much set up with large, you know, very very large companies who had really long established contracts, with yeah. like M and S and people like that. So my brother kind of worked to get uh, sort of. Our first license was Betty Boop, and okay. he was like, "Right, yeah, I saw that." And he was like, "You know, we can make this fashionable. It's not got a lot of retail demand at the moment. It isn't anywhere, but actually, it's well known." Just and quickly on that, for anyone that doesn't understand, and I, I don't either, with licensing, what exactly does that mean, and how does that work? So I'm guessing right. it means you have the license to make products with that likeness on it. Yeah. But is it exclusive? How does that work? Yeah. So generally, they're non-exclusive. Okay. Uh, generally, you kind of have a contract that lets you do specific product and with those products you can kind of say okay we're gonna um do x amount of you know t-shirts or cups or whatever it is you, you want to make okay. so some lovely uh some example lovely here. branded mugs yeah. Yeah. Merchandise there. yeah it's an excuse everyone take a sip simultaneously mm -hmm. great so that's good stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> so basically yeah um you get these contracts and they're normally for us period of time you normally have to give uh, money up front and uh, then you have to kind of uh, really maximize that and sell as much of it as you can and uh, you know the contract is drawn up in a way where you have to pay them a percentage revenue okay. it's a bit like a franchise model like you know a certain yeah. percentage you'll go to them and then uh, underneath that you'll have a little bit of your own profit and then the cost of goods so do? that's kind of the way the contracts are set up and you have a certain amount of time to do well out of it mm -hmm. and then 
you know they can either not renew you or they can kind of say um, yeah you're doing great let's add some more product and some more distribution okay mm -hmm. so really you have to have that kind of setup really kind of pre-existing unless you're going into something completely novel like i don't know bitcoin mm. branded mickey mouse bitcoin or right whatever, fine i'm with you okay where there's no market and you're essentially creating one so how established was the manufacturing business then before you moved into licensing so the manufacturing business is something that's been in our family so like my dad and my uncle were doing it and like i said i remember mm. like running around as a kid with fabric rolls and ladies sewing in the uk so when my brother kind of decided to kind of get into it um we were doing a little bit of manufacturing in the uk and then um kind of as things developed we kind of moved a little bit further out into dubai but really the focus was always like let's make life easy quick and fashionable and be competitive because we're from the sort of that mentality of you know if you've got to work hard you've got to deliver quickly you've got to be cheaper better than everybody else mm. so we were kind of plugging away at it and eventually we moved to dubai and yeah the the contracts kind of grew naturally and uh retail relationships kind of grew naturally we were always strong with new look and we were like oh great this is an opportunity and then we decided well actually now we're in licensing printing is really like um you know key part of it the image likeness and the brand you know it's all important so we bought our own sort of like one machine and um we were just doing a little bit of printing and growing and growing and you know that kind of uh grew the licenses grew so then there was little miss and then there was more and more sort of uh, licenses and we grew from like ladies wear down to sort of children's wear mm -hmm. and you know there was like loads of different opportunities coming up all the time so you know there was um snoopy came um then one day um we were having licenses conversations with like can we get into disney it would be so great to get disney one day you know you, you managed to get into disney you get a contract going with disney and we secured uh, Disney and then and that's the right that's the right sorry to interrupt that's the right to print Disney, Disney logos on on t-shirts yeah, and clothing Disney to apparel. essentially distribute yeah yeah so we were doing that for people like New Look and M&Co and, Co and yeah. all these sort of small stores and these chains well not small but 100 stores yeah. you know, 300 stores. and then we're growing our distribution step by step so it's really been organic sort of growth but then one of these licenses are hit off like um, out of the blue high school musical hit off right mm. okay yeah and then suddenly it's like a straight line trajectory upwards and you're like we cannot make enough of this stuff we've got wow. to continue so we had that i remember being really young and you know just going wow we're so busy right now as we grew the size of the business grew the sourcing we went out to india and then uh something really interesting happened we were like looking around for licenses and we'd signed this license called angry birds really early no one knew what it was wow. and we were like how did you manage to secure that yeah, I mean, that's that's, was... yeah how how, so, how did that come about because obviously that i mean that was a huge a huge game a mobile phone app game so i mean how did that yeah how did that come about so the um i suppose the thing with angry birds was we were building on network around the licensors and you've got to know various people and people were moving from Warner Brothers to Disney to whoever and independent agents. And we knew uh, at one point a guy who came to us and who worked with us previously and he was like, got this, you know, it's just starting. 
what do you think and we we're like yeah actually this you know might be something and you know nobody had heard of it mm. and we're like look it's on your phone you flick this bird yeah. and you know it's going to be um it's going to be worth a shot so we, it was just a punt basically on, mm. on your side well that's what we do generally so that's what we were doing a lot more of actually back in those days it was kind of like you know would like to try and grow into strategic relationships but at that period we're kind of like yeah you know we'd really love to be you know the main guys having the biggest contracts with all the supplies but when you're a small fish it was really hard to kind of be like the main main sort of revenue earners so we were a lot more aggressive and taking opportunities mm. and that came back and suddenly mm. everybody was like we need this and we need it now so that really opened the doors i mean we we were always like a small supplier to next at that point and that suddenly was like okay we need you to work like this we need you to link in with our core uh buyers we need you to be working to really deliver this product out quickly and it was a whole sort of step change so that was like a, you know a, a big uh, growth opportunity and we took on some european sort of distribution and we're like who does this in Germany? Mm. It's a massive market. Who does this in uh, Nordics? Who does this in you know Spain? And so we tried to just grow from there, and we've just grown and grown. And then we've used a strategic relationship, so people like Netflix, Warner Brothers, Disney, to go. Actually, you know what? We're really strong in Nordics now. We're yeah. dealing with everybody in the Nordics. Can we get more distribution out there? Can we get more, some distribution in Turkey, in the Middle East? And it's just kind of grown. Um, in terms of with the licensing structure, is it a case where with something like Angry Birds, is it an upfront fee or is it just a percentage of the time? I mean, how much of a pun is it? Is it, you know? Oh, it's get, so they, it's not uh, sort of like, you know, if it works, good luck. If it doesn't, yeah. Generally, it's like a substantial upfront fee, right? a percentage of your revenue, uh, which is worked on a recoup basis. And then when you hit that number, you've got to do, uh, you've got to pay the, the difference. And then, um, uh after that there's like differences in like actually if you're selling it in china we want more royalty so they'll charge you more and then there's uh auditing rights so they'll come in afterwards and audit and make sure that you're declaring everything and you're paying the right amount so there is a lot that goes into it how much did angry birds charge you can you say you know what? All the contracts have these confidentiality right, clauses. Okay. But generally speaking, it's worth asking. Yeah, <laughs> like why not? But but generally speaking, like we've done deals where you know we've worked with brand owners and we're like, look, there's not really a lot in it, but this retailer wants, you know, these. Um, um, I can't remember. I think we did some like jumpers for Marmite for Tesco, like a one-off deal, and then you know it's you know relative to that deal isn't it you know mm. tesco want ten thousand marmite jumpers for christmas love it i hate it you go viral yeah. and that's it mm. or sometimes it's like okay netflix come to you and go right stranger things is going to be hot mm. let's talk strategy and how we're going to make sure you cover all the distribution and you do a really good job of it and then you're like okay this is big money mm. there's a certain amount up front that's expected and then people have their expenses you know like Universal release a Jurassic Park. Um, mm. Hasbro Hasbro are going to release Transformers. You know that they have a lot of money tied up in that, and they're expecting a certain amount of revenue to come out of the apparel, the accessories. I mean, there's they license everything. You know, you, 
you can buy a Transformers cake. Somebody's making that cake. A cake company's making it. So mm. I'm guessing then that you've got a team that are essentially almost seeing what trends are, are are coming up or almost trying to predict what's going to happen further down the line and what you should be producing as a result of that. Is it is it is that the case, or is it more to do with the relationships that you've got with these existing businesses that are then coming to you to say, okay, we're we're releasing this product or you know whatever it might be. Yeah. We're looking at doing. It's this a bit there. of both. I mean, like okay. you get um, you get the opportunities coming in, like actually mangas on trend, and you know this is the latest manga sort of opportunity, and you know we're not sure how long this is going to last, or you know we're doing this for a season and that's going to be it. So you know how many like uh how many uh products can you range we want to be in this retailer only you know we don't want to go down too low or you know what we really strive to, uh, for now is like strategic long-term sort of people that are going to be like not up going up and down the sort of uh roller coaster of sort of like you know it's massive because as we've grown our staff's grown mm. and as our staff's grown it's like it's actually like you know this is a lot of people and we can't just like say oh well you know yeah. angry birds is finished business is halved yeah sorry guys you got to kind of like maintain that mm. there's an element of responsibility isn't there definitely yeah so how big are you now headcount wise uh 400 wow. wow yeah you 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 run one of the biggest apparel manufacturers in the world right what do you say to people who say you know things like you know oh you're contributing to fast fashion and all of the you know clothes that end up in landfill and stuff we work um in loads of different ways and essentially yeah you're right you know like if you're working for mass market uh, fast fashion accounts the likes of you know the grocers or the fast fashions the primarchs the sort of new looks and whatever there is a certain amount of that we work with zara we work with Primark and we've done campaigns with them where it's like, actually, we're going to make this uh, in you know, Ecotex fabric or it's going to be organic or it's going to be part of the Mickey Ketters range or uh, Zara has this thing called Join Life. So when you go through Join Life and what it entails, there's actually a lot that goes into it. You can't just say, all right, we're going to make X amount of product. Um, there's a, Each of the retailers has their own sort of agenda on making some product um you know and they, they're all kind of going in the right direction but every retailer has got its own track so you know we're trying to work hard with the, with the retailers and say look we're gonna like follow this and we're gonna like work with you to get to these standards and then above and beyond that we're like actually you know what we could probably help and do more so we set up our own recycling plant in egypt where we're like you know what we can make things uh, better than what we believe currently is in the market. And actually our aim is to make it where it's no more expensive. Cause I think that's the real problem right now where you've got people saying, you know, yeah, I want to be eco-friendly, but I don't want to pay four times the amount mm. for the shirt that I've just bought for like 20 quid. Mm. I can't afford an 80 quid shirt to go to yeah. work in every day, you know? So there's a real balancing act at the moment. And especially with general, price rises you know like there's a real sort of awareness in the consumer market right now that they want to do it but they can't really really impact the bottom line so it's up to us to kind of find those solutions what is what's your personal opinion on fast fashion my personal opinion on fast fashion is 
it's something it's something that's grown but to an extent it's almost like um uh, a misnomer in the sense that if you could say who's the ultimate fast fashion you'd say maybe like a boohoo mm. right but that even boohoo aren't saying we need 50,000 of this one thing they take 300 and they'll trial it and they'll if it works all right we'll book another 300 and that's true fast fashion because it's selling out as they're buying it mm. nobody's sitting uh the the you know the old sort of warm-up mentality of like you know uh stack it high sell it cheap is just less and less right now so i think it's naturally people are trying to find the right sort of balance hmm. and where do you see where do you see it going just from a more from a sort of consumer perspective because as you say they're becoming far more aware of what they're purchasing yeah and so i'm curious to know from someone obviously in your position as to where you think it's going to end up so i think more and more there's going to be a focus on from the retailers let's hold less stock and be more reactive and let's get the supply chain to be more reactive as opposed to like you know buying huge quantities of stuff and delivering it yeah we want that capability in the background when something works but we don't want to be buying it day in day out and i think people will be looking at that and going yeah if you can develop that there's no reason why you can't have the uh that mentality around whether it's going to be organic whether it's going to be completely recycled or whether we're going to use water-based inks or whatever um and the same will come across in like accessories and stuff as well backpacks will have the same conversation shoes you know can we use recycled materials can we use uh, can we reuse the rubber can we do this can we do that so there's a lot of things happening uh and you're always stuck in between what does the retailer want to do what's the best that we can do what's their corporate goals versus what's our licensors corporate goals as well because like we work with coca-cola and they have some of their own goals doesn't necessarily link in with every retailer's goals but you know they've made a commitment that they're not gonna uh you know that all plastic recycled is going to be turned into a coca-cola bowl so mm. that's great but then you know sometimes uh, a retailer will say actually i want recycled plastic to go into the polyester jumpers mm. so sometimes they don't match so you have to really navigate the best solution for everybody and we're kind of working out how does it work with the retailers the brand owners and what can we physically do to make both of them fit so in terms of the industry that you're in what's the barrier to entry like barrier to entry is kind of um high in like the apparel and the accessories and the sort of toys there's well-established sort of people doing that um but licensing is more flexible i'd say so if you have like a novel concept say you guys are going to go let's license uh you know the podcast let's do something innovative around that yeah that suddenly becomes a lot more flexible um you know if you start to say okay i want to start making toys and create a licensed brand and put that on you're competing against hasbro mattel and people like you know multi-billion dollar companies does it end up just becoming a race to the bottom in the manufacturing industry from a price perspective mm. because i'm curious to know what how do you set yourself apart in an industry where it's so solely focused on price per unit it's not necessarily um a race to the bottom because we're in the niche of the brands so we're like working with 
uh, say PlayStation when they launched the PS5 and we're like okay how are we going to do PS5 and how are we going to do PlayStation so we're really trying to step away from that within the brands generic you know white t-shirts yes you could argue that ultimately it's a race to the bottom and then uh, you'd have retailers like Asda would have their own quality standard and say this is what we want you go to B&M stores their t-shirt will have a different quality standard and so on and so forth uh, you go to Next there's going to be better and they're going to charge more for it because they want to do I don't know organic or um, you know uh, an enzyme wash to make it look like a rock t-shirt so everybody has different sort of standards but when it comes to the mass side yeah there is always going to be that sort of balance when somebody's like you know at the end of the day we can make it a little bit cheaper and it's the same quality so why wouldn't the people come to us what's your advice to someone who wants to start a clothing brand in terms of both searching for a manufacturer but also trying to establish what they need to actually create a successful clothing brand creating brands is one of the hardest things um uh we know and we see people coming to us saying oh, i've got this brand do you want to license it a lot of the time the answer is kind of like uh no it takes a lot of hard work to build the brand up to get the right distribution to get the marketing right to get the advertising right to get the locations right so we work with some of our brand owners and they want to do a special launch in selfridges that's a lot of hard work to lift the brand to that halo uh, for a very small quantity and we don't generally make any money on it but it's really useful for us to say hey look at the uh, anniversary of Mr. Men's 80th anniversary and we've done the Selfridges uh, shopping shop and you know they've got the books there they've got our apparel there and they've got the back to school stuff there mm. or you know similar sort of thing on like Batman turns 80 how, how are we going to make the most of that are we going to go to the vintage sort of reels and get some bespoke imagery so yeah kind of uh kind of is very very difficult so you've got to really be able to bring something special and get the uh get the customers aware of it i mean like any brand is really hard to kind of break through when you mentioned relationships with um high street retailers like new look and next and things like that someone like new look for example how do you go about getting that relationship New Look's been one of our oldest customers. I mean, um, literally, it was one of the first customers that I remember after I joined the university, we'd, we had the New Look account open. They always used to just buy from Leicester, historically. And uh, I believe, like, it was then, you know, known between uh, the old sort of, what we call the rag trade. And, um, like, that, that was a historical relationship. But, like, if you look at... Um, say next and tesco it's just literally reaching out to the buyers saying hey you know what we supply as the we're supplying river island or somebody else here's our product can we come and talk to you mm. you've just got to do the graft there's no quick wins in that how do you how do you get that first client and the first customer on board obviously you've got the, the kudos of having those big brands behind you so it's much easier to get your foot in the door but let's say if somebody doesn't have access or to that sort of roster how do they get in in front of those big businesses? What do you mean in terms of getting the brands like the licenses? Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody um, is kind of uh, open to do business. So if you think like, actually, I can do, I have my own brand and I want to do co-brand with 
uh, Hello Kitty, for example, or something like that, and you think, you know, Hello uh, Kitty's such an old brand. Honestly, that's been going around for so long. I know, <laughs> and it's just never got old. It's crushing I find it. it so strange. It's still it's, huge. It is, isn't it? It's crazy. I mean, it's gone up, down, yeah. up, down, and it continues. And some of these things are evergreen. Like we've been selling mm. Snoopy for as long as I can remember, yeah. but it remains like popular and you know part of the sort of uh sort of society especially in mm. different territories i didn't realize how big some things are in different areas snoopy's really strong in germany but um no. you know these sort of brand owners they're they're around you can just literally google them and say you know who owns the estate of i don't know elvis presley if you wanted to do something retro or you can like, reach out to them they have like contact us for uh, licensing inquiries and they have email addresses they're sort of trade shows you can go to uh europe like london germany america you can kind of go to these like shows and you can like you know give your card and say you know can i have two minutes because i want to do uh co-brand i mean some of the some of these ideas are amazing i was talking to uh, some of our friends in uh london they've done um motley crew whiskey and stuff like that you okay know, genius yeah. and you, you know all of these sort of opportunities exist everywhere so, so they're all open so how much creativity do you have is it is it for you to come up with the idea like that motley crew whiskey thing for example that's a great idea yeah. you know tying it to one of the most legendary kind of bands of all time in terms of their yeah. like touring stuff um how much control do you have over that you know can you be creative with it do you can you know when you mentioned like the batman 80 year thing going back yeah. to old reels and deciding on the style do you get to say, you know what, because it's Batman's 80th year, it would be great to pitch DC on a Batman hoodie that has this particular style of Batman from this year on it? Or is it more they say, hey, we're doing this for this year, we need 40,000 of them? Right. So generally speaking, it's very heavily dependent on us to come up with the creative ideas and show the retailers how it could look like so they want to buy it. Um when it comes to sort of the licensors, they'll give you like style guides, they'll develop like the whole sort of brand look and aesthetic and they'll go, this is what we're thinking. But as you grow and you do it, and the more you do it, you get to a stage where you can go to like, you know, the key people, uh, our key contacts in somewhere like Disney and go, you know, um, Alice in Wonderland movies come out, it's done really, really well. We want to do something a bit inspired off the back of that can we have a look around and root around some ideas of and we just present our sort of thoughts sometimes we go hey you know what we're going to do this or we're going to do some smiley converse-esque footwear and we're going to try and do this d different look and they either love it or they say this is not right because we've already got a, a co-brand going on with i don't know somebody high-end like you know a paul smith or a gucci or something and they're like you know you can't touch that for six months or a year let's rediscuss it then mm. so it kind of depends on you know like um the opportunities but generally creative is very much down to us to kind of come up with the ideas and sort of like knock them back you don't necessarily get everything because it all depends on what you've agreed contractually so you can't just say yeah i'm gonna do um uh, motorhead ale you know like mm. a real ale because i think more the motorhead fans are that age now mm. so you know they're going to be like yeah but you've only got a t-shirt rights so
Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Furniture Box. Furniture Box is an online furniture retailer that makes awesome products for everywhere from your bedroom to your office. Now we actually had Monty and Dan, the co-founders on our show. That's how we met. We loved their story and we hung out with them afterwards and we knew that we wanted to work with them. And here's the thing. One of the biggest issues I have whenever I've ordered furniture in the past is that certain big name furniture companies, not naming any names, will charge you a fairly large fee for delivery. And even then that delivery usually takes a few days, if not longer. With Furniture Box, not only do they offer free next day delivery, but they're now planning on extending their delivery cutoff even more so that you can literally order a dining set as late as 8 p.m. and be eating dinner on it the next day. So to put it simply, there's no one in the UK furniture scene that's doing anything like what they're doing, and we're thrilled to have them as our sponsor. So click the link in the show notes and check them out. Now back to the episode. So what's it like being in business with your brother? It's always challenging, yeah, because we have different views on a lot of things. So it's really, really hard to kind of like go, okay, this is what we're doing. So generally speaking, I say, look, this is what I think is right. What do you think is right? And then we kind of come to an agreement. 90% of the time is like, no, we're definitely going to do it this way. And then I, at the end, I've like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. What, 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 how do you sort of divide the um, tasks or decide who looks after who between the two of you? How do you decide mm-hmm. the responsibilities? So as things <clears> have grown, um, we've always kind of taken different roles um like um he was heavily involved in production at one point so i was like okay you know you're handling all other production i'll handle the sales side mm-hmm. uh when we grew into europe i was like right uk sales side i'm already kind of doing i can do the europeans we're going to get some country heads in we're going to start doing some strategizing about how we're going to be like the best in france the best in germany and so on so you kind of We've always kind of had plans like, okay, if I'm doing this, I'll, I'll take over this little area and I'll do it. And, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to focus on the recycling plant or I want to focus on finances. So it's always just a conversation. What would be your advice to someone who's looking to, to go into business either with a family member or one of their best friends? What do you think are some of the, the things they should be aware of? Some of the things you've got to watch out for is just clarity. Like what's in your head versus what's in uh the other person's head your brothers your dads your sisters and it's just i think communication would like be the issue in 90 percent of things mm. anyway so i think friends and family is the same thing you just start off with a real clean sort of simple right this is what we're doing this is where we want to get to mm. and then actually this opportunity has come along do we want to do it mm. yeah let's try it should we try selling uh caps yeah mm. somebody else is doing it they're doing really well look at them oh, actually, you know what, there's an opportunity here. Should we do it? No, we're already maxed out. We don't have that sort of cash available right now yeah, unless we do X, Y, and Z. So it's just communicating. Have you had um, Have you had a made-it moment? Have you had a made-it moment? Yeah. Have, have you had a moment where you've realized, like, wow, I've built something really, really big? I don't think so, no, because there's always so much more to do. I'm always like, okay, well yeah you know that's going well but i can see three things here that i need to get on top of and i can do better here and this could be here you know, our competitors stronger there why aren't we taking this you know been uh working years to open certain retail accounts and you're like almost there almost there so you know opportunities come like we opened uh like a retail account in dubai and i was like this is amazing who's the leader here oh these guys are how many people do they have? Mm. Who do they supply? They're everywhere. Wow, this is amazing. We should be here. Who handles the Middle East region? No, you know. Oh, there's like two or three big guys. So 
to to me there's always well we can be doing that we can be doing that and then it's a real concern a question of growth versus consolidation and you know we have to kind of balance that out mm. leading on from that what's your what's your view on money now that you're at this point obviously you've got an incredibly successful business that you're running i'm curious to know what your stance is on on the money that you're making and how it's affected your lifestyle if at all i don't really think it's like um a huge effect uh on the lifestyle i've um we've always been kind of like you know um just work hard build build up the business and we're not i mean there is expenses don't get me wrong and you know i do buy nice things every now and again but it's not been like wow right now i've you know uh spent a load of money here or a load of money there i think what's more important to me is kind of like okay build develop security build the, build the next asset what, what else mm. are you going to do um how else are you going to grow this business you know is there an opportunity somewhere else but not really like um you know suddenly gone wow okay time to buy like i don't know uh, uh an aventador or something mm-hmm. yeah i'm with you it's almost a satisfaction of building the business yeah it gives you all you need as opposed to the money that comes from it you know what the thing is like i've found <laughs> i found like actually what i what's more important to me now is like actually learning to take time out because like when i was growing up working saturday was like a normal thing Mm. like you'd get up you'd go to work saturday half a day and Mm. that was just a normal thing everybody i knew did it so you know and then like the guys used to be my dad and everybody used to be in the pub afterwards and then have two pints and go home and that was just part of life so now i find it really i used to find it really weird not working on a saturday and um I, you know, I work, you work, continue, I, even now I like work till seven, eight o'clock normally. Mm. And, you know, then, you know, catch up. And stuff. But now what's more important to me is like, can you take time out actually and just watch the kids because they're growing up and, you know, try and take uh, your son to a football match and things like that. So it's really more important to me as like a balance. I'm well, working hard together. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, what are your thoughts on, you know, um, hustle culture and that kind of thing? And like, you know, grinding and doing all this kind of stuff. Um, I think I don't really believe in it you're either you, you if you want to work you're going to work you know there's no sort of culture around it it's just the way you kind of are you know you're either brought up uh, and you you know you work hard because you know that's what you do or um, you know you don't I don't I don't believe in like working you know 20 hours a day or some ridiculous amount. and you know what taking time out and going on holiday with your family for a week is a really great thing it doesn't mean that i don't get up like two hours early and check all my emails because then i know that sure. nothing's like you know the building's not burned down but once i've done that if i can spend a half a day and you know really like chill out on a beach with the kids and play football and go for a swim and all that sort of stuff that's really important the hustle culture thing i think there's a lot of sort of TikToks and all this sort of stuff which is disingenuous i think yeah you know i agree you mentioned your wife and your kids obviously and you've you know you've uh you've had a, as ski said you know a very successful business what has the impact been in terms of like managing a personal relationship with a business Cause i think a lot of people have you know different views on that you know some people think you know when they're coming up and building something they need to be kind of all focused and some people think you know they couldn't have done it without their partner and you know what are your thoughts on on that 
Yeah, so um, I think getting married and uh, settling down really kind of brings a bit of perspective because, you know, you've got suddenly you've got a partner, then you've got children and time becomes a lot more precious. And then you're like, okay, now we need to kind of, you know, book this in and it's not movable before things were movable for work. Everything's kind of work around work. You know, even if you're going on holiday, you're going for because, you know, there's something you can do there. There's potentially, you know, uh, I don't know, a supply source or yeah, an yeah. embellishment or something. Everything was work related. Now with that, you kind of it definitely helps you see the other side. Would you like your kids to take over from you? I'm really open about um, what the future holds. I think um, it will be one of those things. My son said to me, like, I can't remember. I was like, he was like oh yeah when I grow up I'm going to work in the factory with you I'm going to work in the business with you and I was like are you? really? why? He's like, just I want to and I was like okay it's really interesting but I think back then like we just signed like Fortnite and like yeah. <laughs> it was one of his games oh, yeah, 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 he was always, like wow this yeah, is amazing yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah fair enough <laughs> what's it like signing someone like Fortnite like getting to work with you get to work with Fortnite yeah 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 um it's very interesting like um a lot of these sort of brands will come up and um they literally um are like new to the whole merchandise angle mm. so we did this thing with ninja he used to be a famous youtuber yeah, yeah he yeah. did this thing with drake and suddenly he was the hottest thing ever yeah and we're like do you want to do a range we'll do like a range he's like yeah cool let's do it so we did ranges well we do these sort of things with these you know up and coming guys so you worked with ninja from fortnite yeah yeah that's so dope. He, that's like, quite a cool accolade. That's a great. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite cool. What's ninja? Yeah. What's ninja like? He was. Uh, well, we didn't really like the the way it's all set up. You don't really work with them. You like kind of have like one meeting where they like kind of might be involved agreeing mm. the terms of the contract, and then they're like, right, just do all the design, send us everything, and we'll sign it off, and then you know we'll leave it. But basically, they'll sign off like we're going to launch it in store, and there's going to be some like the logos on the floor and the range is going to be like this so generally you get to kind of create that look for them and they'll sign it off and we did like a great deal and we you know we made loads of sales but then actually like the next like renewal we were like oh you know we're doing really well we're going to pay you loads more money now we're growing and he's like oh no adidas just came in and offered me a load of cash so not interested and you're like what how's yeah. it all this <laughs> time true. building yeah. this yeah. Really? And like, is that common you get you get to the end of a project and <laughs> I can't believe that. all of a sudden like things <laughs> just, just swept yeah, up like, literally yeah. like all that work and everything goes into that and then they just turn around and say yeah 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 i mean uh it happens and the other thing happens as well where people start off and they're like oh no you know i don't want to be merchandising my stuff you know well we're better than this and then like next year like so you're going to pay me, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as soon as they see the pound signs, they're like, oh yeah, that yeah. makes complete sense. Why it's, wouldn't I do that? Just just before we wrap up, I really want to know, is there anyone that you would love? If you could, you know, work with anyone, license anyone, any brand, any figure, anything, who would you, who would it be? You know, um, I've never really thought about it. I kind of just look at the opportunity and go, this makes sense. Would you like to do it? Mm. I mean, we've, we've approached people, um, and we've approached uh, you know what 
you like got a, me you've worked with a lot of blank. big names. Yeah, you got me a complete blank. I can't think of any. And now is the time, right? I should yeah, be like, yeah, yeah, I should yeah. be like, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. Armani, all the like. Everyone call me. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I'm sure there's millions, but none that I can remember right now. All good, Mickey. It's been a hell of a conversation. I mean, Ninja—that's a pretty—that's that's the standout for me. Um, we like to ask the same question to every guest that we get at the end of every episode. If you could give one piece of advice, but focused on the practical, what would it be? Um, I think um, the first thing would be like, just be super clear. Like, I want to do this. This is what I think is going to work, and I'm going to do it. And then if it works, then really go after it in a big way. And if it doesn't work, just stop. I love that. That's so simple. I think so many people overcomplicate things. They do overcomplicate yeah. it. Because we've made mistakes. And you know what? You can see. But you like, learn from it as you go. That's the yeah, you've got to, but you've right. got to have the guts to say, okay, this has cost us X. Yeah. And we need to stop now because it's yeah. just not working. Yeah. And sometimes you can get, you know, like, you're like, yeah, but we spent it. And if we just put a bit more yeah. in, it's going to magically yeah, happen. Yeah. But There's a word for that. It's the gambler's um, uh, something, uh, sunk cost fallacy. Is it? Okay. But you, but you just yeah. keep putting money in until yeah. it eventually. Good money, you throw good money after bad. Yeah. 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 Don't do it. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Valuable lesson. Yeah. Thank you. Don't throw money. Up. Good money after bad. That's a good way to end on. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, if you liked it, please sure to, you know be sure to subscribe um, and uh, turn on post notifications and rate us five stars on uh, an audio platforms. But Mickey, thank you so much for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much. much. Cheers. Thank awesome. you.